Welcome to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. We pray that God will bless your time as you listen. Dear friends, welcome to the third Sunday of the year. Last Sunday, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, introduced him as the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb is a familiar imagery in the Old Testament. Moses, in preparation for the Passover, as every family, If they are big enough, get a lamb. Otherwise, they come together with other families in preparation for the Passover. And when Jesus addressed, when John addressed him as the Lamb of God, he was pointing at the end of Jesus' mission. The type of sacrificial death he was going to die. That one lamb that was sacrificed, his sacrifice surpasses all other sacrifices. Today is the third Sunday of the year of grace. Our reflection focuses on the call to discipleship, call to be announcers of the good news, call to be sharers of the good news. We live in a world of science and technology. Things are getting more and more so sophisticated. Virtually every sector is increasingly becoming computer-based. Here in America, you can't do without it. Computer-based. You go back to where we come from. You have to get a security man to man the gate. But here, you control the gate with the computer. Just press a button, it is opened. You don't need many people anymore to do works. Recently, when you have any advertisement for vacancy for recruitment, you have to state the requisite qualifications for employment. Most often, the criteria includes first class in whatever field of human endeavor you are advertising for the recruitment. And the person must be computer literate. And he must have good working experience. All these are at edge. If you have them, you will be at edge in getting the job. This is because Employers do not take chances to risk their hard-earned businesses to an amateur or inefficient worker. A good business, you need good workers to man it. Otherwise, you will not get anywhere. Jesus had an important task of recruiting agents for the kingdom. He went to the seashore to recruit the Galilean fishermen, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. 
He invited them, come, follow me. Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. And then we are to forward this message and hand it on to the faith. Humanly speaking, one would think that the men of Adesisio were not professionals to be entrusted with the work of the kingdom. Humanly speaking, one would think that we are not sophisticated. Because all the time they are spending in the river at this issue. They don't know what is happening in the town. One would have thought in like manner. Probably, Jesus was not interested in the external appearance as it were in the call of David to be king in Israel, 1 Samuel, Samuel, Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. They brought all the other brothers. He said, no, he's not among them. He said, but there is one last one, the last born. He has taken the sheep for grazing. He said, bring him. When they brought David, they said, this is the one. The last became the first. Despite their human imperfection, Jesus, who calls qualified, when he calls, he qualifies the person for the work of the kingdom. Fishermen have uncommon endurance, resilience, and professional know-how. Jesus must have taken to cognizance their commitment, availability, and potentials. He realized behind them was something that they can use for the kingdom. Calling the first four disciples, they abandoned their source of livelihood, their families, their relations, and followed Jesus. They detached in order to attach to Jesus. They detach to attach to Jesus. It's not easy to detach in order to attach. They detach from their families and instantly they followed Jesus. Invariably, we may ask, what makes a good fisherman? What makes one a good fisherman? First and foremost, his fishing skills. He must have the fishing skills, he must have the equipment and the patience to work. Yeah, we are times Jesus will meet them. They have spent the whole night working without making any headway. And he will say, throw the net to the, to the, to the deep sea. And there was a heavy catch. The endurance is there. This we are the skills. Jesus wants you and I to fish for people of our time. We have seen the skills for a fisherman and we can employ same skills in fishing people for the kingdom. 
In other words, he wants us to tell others out there what God has done and what he will do in their lives. He wants us to be his messengers. He wants us to be his agents. He wants us to be his ambassadors. What does it take to be a fisher of men? We have talked about fishing fish. Then what does it take to be a fisher of men? First, you need to be properly equipped with the know-how. You need the know-how of being a fisher of man, men and women of our time. That you need the knowledge of the Bible. The Bible is the compass. The Bible is the one that gives us direction. Turn. If you get to the marketplace, turn to the other side. In order to get to heaven, you want to go to heaven, the Bible has the compass. Dealing a wall of uh, GSM, uh, the wall of uh, GSP in what do we need to navigate our way to other places? GPS. Virtually any driver in this country must have a GPS if he must get to where he's going. So, for us to preach, we need a GPS to heaven, and that is the Bible. It gives us the capacity to impact on people. And we need to know the people. And we need to go to the people, know the people, and go to the people. And we must show interest in the work again. We must have the interest of inviting people to the kingdom. Without the interest, we can't do anything. Jesus taught Peter and Andrew to have their fishing business, to leave their fishing business and begin a new profession of fishing people for the kingdom, leaving a profession to begin another profession. And I think this is what Jesus is calling us to, to become fishermen, going to share the good news with other people, we can't do this until there is some sort of detachment, detaching to attach. Jesus motivated this man, and they left their comfort zone in order to follow Jesus. They didn't make excuses. There was no excuse given that I have to go home and then say bye-bye. And it was much later on we'll hear that mother, the mother-in-law of Peter had high fever and they went to visit her. It shows probably he must have been married. He didn't go home because of the urgency of the invitation of Christ which gives room to relaxing all others in order to follow him. They didn't make excuses why it wasn't good time. And they left at once and followed. 
Jesus calls each of us to follow him. When Jesus asks us to serve him, we must be like the disciples and do it at once. Jesus simply calls us to be the light. And I think another word for a disciple is being the light. To become the light in a dark world. The first reading will tell us that the people that work, that work in darkness, a bright light has shone. And this is what the disciple should be. He may not need to make a lot of noise, but by the time his light shines, he will change the darkness that surrounds us. And even the responsorial psalm will say that the Lord is our light and our salvation. When we talk of darkness, we are talking about the devil. When we talk about the light, we are talking about what pertains to God. And the disciple is announcing what pertains to God. And therefore, he has to be the light, he has to be the witness of Jesus and God himself. Wherever he goes should be the light. And even the second reading will say that there we have division in the church in Corinth. Some will say, I am for Paul. Some will say, I am for Apollos. And the other one, when we are the light, there can be division among us. Anyone that is the light does not entertain any division. We are one. The pastor, the first assistant, the second assistant, the deacons, everybody was supposed to be one, we supposed to be singing one chorus. There shouldn't be any division among us. And that is what St. Paul was challenging the people of Corinth against. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we are to build the kingdom and not to divide the kingdom. We are to call people to become a beacon of light that dispels the darkness that surrounds us. We need to be the light and nothing but the light. Wherever the Christian is, there should be the light. And when we talk about preaching the gospel, what are we saying in practical terms? If you are a nurse, in your nursing profession, that is where you bring out the light of Christ. There are some that are in the hospital. Some may not need to take medication. Loneliness and other things have culminated to make them sick. They need a loving, caring person. They need that TLC, loving, tender care. When a nurse is able to give a loving, tender care, he transformed the sick person to be a person that is healthy. We are the teachers. You are not just teaching physics, economics, mathematics, or whatever. Let Christ light before the students. When the students see a beacon of light in you, you can transform them. Some have difficulties. Parents have difficulties. But if a teacher is able to transform the students, 
to become better people. He has become the light. Go and meet those working in restaurants. I cherish the way they are able to explain the menu. We ask them, what is this? Before you know it, they have everything at their fingertips. They are so proficient, the waiters and the rest of them. I cherish, I said, if I have these skills as an agent of the gospel, we'll be able to gather people for the kingdom. They know what the menu is. They know what the restaurant can provide for your own comfort. They never lack in becoming, in being good agents. And I think that is what we are. We should be agents for the kingdom. That we should know our Bible and be able to communicate the Bible in order to draw people to the kingdom. Jesus wants to make people fishers of men. And we are the fishers, men of our time. Don't complain. You have all it takes to be a fisher of men. Wherever your workplace is, that is your constituency. Husband and wife, your family is your first constituency. You must bring your children to Christ. Pray for them, encourage them, support them, and give them all it that is necessary to bring them to Christ. Be the light to them. Witness to Christ before them. One Sunday morning after the church service, the neighbor's little girl asked her mother to explain the pastor's text for the day. Let your light shine. The pastor continues to say, let your light shine. And the little lady said, explain, how do I let the light shine? Why? It means... Let your life shine by being good and obedient. The mother taught the little lady. Let your light shine by being good and obedient. Just do the right thing at the right time, in the right place with the right intentions. A bit later, she had a commotion in the children's play area. Followed by her daughter's shout. Mother, I think I just blew out my light. She blew out the light by being naughty, causing commotion. We should be the light. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. If you follow me. If you follow me. Hallelujah. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Thank you for listening to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast. For additional podcasts and media, 
visit us on the web at www.sanneaz.org. Again, that's www.stanneaz.org. St. Anne, pray for us. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, that what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. Uh, we have in our gospel today one of many examples of how Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. Um, in 2019, Pope Francis designated the third Sunday of ordinary time as the Sunday of the Word of God. Um, I don't know if, if many people remember it, but we're supposed to on this Sunday talk something about the importance of sacred scripture. In order to do that, I'm going to turn to the catechism. And we're going to begin in paragraph 101. In order to reveal himself to men in the condescension of his goodness, God speaks to them in human words. Indeed, the words of God, expressed in the words of men, are in every way like human language. Just as the word of the Eternal Father when he took on himself the flesh of human weakness, became like men. Through all the words of sacred scripture, God speaks only one single word, his one utterance in whom he expresses himself completely. You recall that one and the same word of God extends throughout scripture, that it is one and the same utterance that resounds in the mouths of all the sacred writers, since he who was in the beginning God with God has no need of separate syllables, for he is not subject to time. For this reason, the church has always venerated the scriptures as she venerates the Lord's body. She never ceases to present to the faithful the bread of life, taken from the one table of God's word and Christ's body. In sacred scripture, the church constantly finds her nourishment and her strength, for she welcomes it not as a human word, but as what it really is, the word of God. In the sacred books, the Father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet his children and talks with them. God is the author of sacred scripture. The divinely revealed realities which are contained and presented in the text of sacred scripture have been written down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the faith of the apostolic age, 
accepts as sacred and canonical the books of the Old and the New Testaments, whole and entire, with all their parts, on the grounds that written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have God as their author and have been handed on as such to the church herself. God inspired the human authors of the sacred books. To compose the sacred books, God chose certain men who, all the while he employed them in this task, made full use of their own faculties and powers, so that though he acted in them and by them, it was as true authors that they consigned to writing whatever he wanted written and no more. The inspired books teach the truth. Since, therefore, all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God for the sake of our salvation, wish to see confided to the sacred scriptures. Still, the Christian faith is not a religion of the book. Christianity is the religion of the Word of God, capital W, a word which is not written and a mute word, but the word which is incarnate and living. If the scriptures are not to remain a dead letter, Christ, the eternal word of the living God, must, through the Holy Spirit, open our minds to understand the scriptures. In sacred scripture, God speaks to man in a human way. To interpret scripture correctly, the reader must be attentive to what the human authors truly wanted to affirm and to what God wanted to reveal to us by their words. In order to discover the sacred author's intention, the reader must take into account the conditions of their time and culture, the literary genres in use at the time, and the modes of feeling, speaking, and narrating then current. For the fact is that truth is differently presented and expressed in the various types of historical writing, in prophetical and poetical text, and in other forms of literary expression. But since sacred scripture is inspired, there is another and no less important principle of correct interpretation without which scripture would remain a dead letter. Sacred scripture must be read and interpreted in the light of the same spirit by whom it was written. The Second Vatican Council indicates three criteria for interpreting scripture in accordance with the spirit who inspired it. One, be especially attentive to the content and unity of the whole scripture. 
2. Read the scripture within the living tradition of the whole church. 3. Be attentive to the analogy of faith. By analogy of faith, we mean the coherence of the truths of faith among themselves and within the whole plan of revelation. So that's paragraphs 101 through 114. It's just the beginning of what it says about sacred scripture, but it allows us to begin on the same page. Sacred scripture has God as its author. If we really believe that, why do we not spend more time reading sacred scripture? Why do we spend more time um, reading books of fiction, which I do all the time. I'm not saying you can't do that. But if I really believe that this was written by my God, should it not have greater importance than anything else that I consume? Do we spend more time with the nightly news? I don't know if anyone still reads newspapers. But do we spend more time with that than we do with sacred scripture? Do we know more about movies and music than we do that which was written by our God himself? If we do spend more time in those things, I think that's problematic. If you regularly come to St. Anne's, as long as the bishop sees fit to leave me here, you're going to hear this come up again and again, and I won't get tired of it. I'm going to tell you, go home, find the Bible that you put on a bookshelf, blow the dust off of it, and begin reading it. For a whole host of reasons. First, I would say, sadly, you cannot depend upon priests and deacons to preach the word of God. Homily, homologos, homologia, it literally means same word. What we're supposed to be preaching on is the text of the sacred liturgy, our worship of God that we give here, which is replete with sacred scripture itself. And the actual sacred scripture that we have proclaimed in the midst of God's holy assembly. That's what we're supposed to be commenting on. And I know because I've heard many, many homilies, although I now only have to listen to what I decide to speak, <laughs> that preachers go off into politics. That they very often... Um, enter into social commentary. They talk about what's going on in the world today. And there is sometimes where it's necessary to apply our faith to those things. But they are not the essence of our faith. And the world will change. What we're supposed to be giving is that which lasts forever. Um, secondly, on most Sundays, 
the scriptures are absolutely so rich that I couldn't possibly give commentary on everything that's going on in them. So that if you intend to subsist in the spiritual life, only upon the words that Father Keith speaks to you, well, good luck. You're going to need more than that. So what is it that we do need? The Catechism teaches us two very important things. First of all, it is Christ who must open our mind to the scriptures. This is what he does, does to the apostles in his post-resurrection appearance. He explained everything in the scriptures concerning him from the prophets, from the Psalms, um, and from the law. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. If we come at the scriptures unformed by Christ without Christ, you will never understand the true meaning of the scriptures. This is why we used to joke in seminary, put 12 biblical scholars in a room and ask them a question, and you will get at least 13 answers. We must be looking for Christ in the scriptures, in both the Old and the New Testament. Secondly, we must be led by the Holy Spirit. And here's the great difficulty. I think every Christian acknowledges that the Holy Spirit guides us, and so we all claim in some sense to have the Spirit. Well, if we all read the same scriptures, why do we interpret them so differently? Who is the cause for the differences? It's not the same Spirit who inspired them. It's us. We can easily confuse in our minds the thoughts that we have for the thoughts of God. We do it all the time. We will lean in hard on the things that we prefer, that we like. We will love the places in sacred scripture that affirm our lives and our decisions. And we'll hide our eyes from the places that are, well, just too difficult for us to take on. We will find excuses to set them aside. Human beings have been doing this since the Garden of Eden. So then the church says there's three ways then, with Christ and with the Holy Spirit, to go about doing this. To read the Bible whole and entire. In other words, I can't just read the Gospels, although I would give a certain privileged place to the Gospels. You must read Paul, and you must read Moses, and you must read the Psalms. The whole of the sacred scriptures has a unity to it, and to take only a part is to distort its message. We must read the sacred scriptures within the living tradition of the church. Give a man a Bible and nothing else, and he will not even have the Bible. The Bible is not meant to be a catch-all manual for everything that will ever come up. It is the story, a love story, 
of God's relentless pursuit of man and his intention to save him from himself. So you need more than just the Bible. There's a reason why my seminary lasted eight years long. It was all the things that I had to learn in order to deal well with the whole of the Catholic faith. There's work that has to be done. God, if he willed, could give to each one of us by an extraordinary grace an infused knowledge of everything in divine revelation. But in the history of Christianity, that isn't often how God has worked. How do we read sacred scripture within the whole living tradition? This is a good place to start. This is a catechism of the Catholic Church. And if you're like me, at some point you either bought one or someone gave you one. And you probably did what I did with it. You put it on your bookshelf and you never bothered to read it. Because it's a daunting size of a text. But this is a sure guide of the Catholic faith. It does not include everything. It's not every opinion. It lays out the principles of a way to approach things. And if we know the Catechism, when we read the Bible, we will interpret the Bible through the lens of the whole of the Catholic faith, informed by all the doctors and the popes and the ecumenical councils and the saints and the mystics, and it will help us from being led astray. There has never been a heresy or a heretic that did not take some verse of scripture and twist it. And in the doing of it, claim, here it is in the Bible. So we must be formed and informed of the Catholic faith. So a few practical suggestions then to you. I don't expect that you're going to read the sacred scriptures in the original languages. But by that very fact, you must acknowledge that you are reading it in translation. And translation always loses some nuances. So you must be aware of that in the back of your mind. Um, very famously and recently, Father Mike Schmitz did the Bible podcast in a year. You can download it and listen to it at your leisure. Uh, if you're still going to work and you have to drive in that horrible traffic that we have here, what a great time to listen to the Word of God. Give Father Mike a year and you will have heard the entirety of sacred scripture. He's also just begun to do the Catechism of the Catholic Church in a year. Once again in podcasts so that you can download it and listen to it at your leisure. Give him another year and you will have heard the entirety of the Catechism of the Catholic Church in a year. Very practical way to approach it. There are very many good biblical studies out there. 
And we almost certainly need one because most of us are not trained in distinguishing literary genres. We don't know the archaeological, cultural references. We don't know the languages that lie behind it. And so scholars who know those things put together Bible studies so that we can benefit from the fruit of their study. You're going to need to vet the Bible study that you pick up. They are not all equal, and they are not all equally Catholic. There are some bad Bible studies out there. If you find one that you want, come talk to me. I'm willing to give you at least my opinion of it. I would suggest the Lexio Bible study from the St. Augustine Institute. It's done by video. Um, there's, of course, a cost to it. But it would give you um, a way to listen to specialized scholars um, kind of walk through the sacred scriptures according to categories like God, salvation, Mary, to help you understand those. Another resource that I would suggest to you is the St. Paul Center from Dr. Scott Hahn. There are many, many resources there. Again, they are trustworthy. Another one I would recommend to you is Dr. John Bergsma. Uh, he's recently put out um, an ABC commentary on the Catholic Sunday lectionary. And so if you get his books, what you'll have for every Sunday that you come to Mass is an incredible biblical scholar who has gone through all three readings and taught you how they're interconnected. If you did this, you wouldn't have to worry so much about Father Keith preaching really well, because at least you would get something even if I go uh, off the edge. Uh, the next practical suggestion I would give you is to read the sacred scriptures with the liturgy. Uh, for myself, I think this is <clears throat> one of the most beautiful ways to study the Bible. How is it that the church, in her official worship of God, has decided to use the sacred scriptures within the liturgy? Uh, it gives you an insight into her understanding. In the ABC Sunday year, the first reading and the gospel always match up. They're, the prophecy in the first reading is always fulfilled in the gospel. And so you're learning not just who Jesus is in the New Testament, but how he fulfills the Old Testament. And that's not the only scripture that we use. All of these introits and graduals and communion, those are scripture. And so you can see there how the church uses the Psalms. Okay. The last practical advice I'll give you. You paid for my education. If you're reading the scriptures and you have a question about something, come ask me. You should get the fruit of what you paid for. If I don't have the answer and I don't know everything, I know where to go and find the answers. And then we both learn together. I continue. I've never stopped my studies. I continue to read and to study 
and to meditate upon all these things so that I can deepen my relationship with Christ. And this is, is what is at um, the bottom of this Sunday of the Word of God. St. Jerome says, Ignorance of the Scriptures is ignorance of Christ. For many, many of us, our vision of God is formed by an impartial pass down from our parents, by the things that our friends and society says, and it is not formed by what God says of himself. When we read other theology, and those are good things to read, you are reading a second-hand account, a secondary reflection. But when you read the sacred scriptures, you are reading that inspired to be written by God himself. If you really want to know someone, well, you could go ask others who know that person to tell you about them, and you would learn something about them. Or you could go directly to that person themselves. And it's in that that you come not only to know something about the person, but to know the person. And those are two different things. The reason for this exercise is not so that you have a bunch of biblical quotes in your head or a bunch of quotes from the catechism in your head, but so that your minds might be illuminated and your hearts purified and disposed so that Christ might reveal himself to you and you might know that you are loved. This only happens if we seek Christ. Without the sacred scripture and the whole tradition of the church, we will make up a version of Christ who fits rather neatly into our life. But if you open the Bible and you follow the catechism, Christ will reveal himself to you. And he reveals the Father to us. And in this we find salvation. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast. For additional podcasts and media, visit us on the web at www.sanneaz.org. Again, that's www.stanneaz.org. St. Anne, pray for us.